Hi, this is Mike with episode 19 of Getting Everyone Moving, brought to you by Palms to Pines Parasports. Today, we're going across the pond, I guess it is, <laughs> and we're talking with Mark Bullock. Hey, Mark. Hey, nice to see you, Mike. Thanks hey, for the invitation. Thank you for the opportunity to do this. Yeah, good to see you. So you've been all over the world with adaptive sports. How did you actually get into uh, adaptive sports? Uh, it's a really good question, actually. Um, my early sort of exposure was I was a sports officer at the University of Nottingham uh, the year after my degree. Um, and uh, I was old enough to drive the Students' Union Disabled Students' Bus, as it, as it was called then. Um, so I, I uh, was asked, I volunteered. Um, and one of the people I would pick up was a student with cerebral palsy who would go to the gym. Um, and I was a fitness fanatic, so if I didn't have any other jobs to do, I would just take my walkie-talkie into the gym and train along, alongside this uh, student. So that was my first exposure. And then in my first job, I shared an office with someone called Tim Reddish, who has subsequently gone on to be chairman of the British Paralympic Association. He's a, he was a Paralympic swimmer at the time. And I shared an office with him, so I went on this incredible steep learning curve in my first job of working alongside Tim. His job was, his job title was Sports Development Officer for People with a Disability in the city of Nottingham. Uh, and I was a tennis development officer in the city. So we um, did some projects together, um, worked in, in some schools in the city, worked with some community groups and uh, my learning curve just was extremely steep. I, I saw wheelchair tennis for the first time about, uh, a month into that job, I watched a 20 minute exhibition. Uh, prior to that, I'd never seen it. Um, and now uh, it's gone on to be most of my career. So that, that was my early introduction. Um, and then I, as a result of that, I started coaching uh, people with a range of impairments, but in particular, a couple of wheelchair players uh, who did quite well, quite quickly, I guess. Perhaps, I think more by the default, they were playing tennis more often rather than what I was necessarily bringing to the table because I, I was completely new to it. Uh, and then I started, I got asked to be the one of the national coaches um, in the very early stages of wheelchair tennis. So that was my introduction into this route. Um, but I, I credit Tim to sort of setting me out on this journey because um, it was fascinating sharing an office with, with him and exploring uh, something that I didn't really know existed before I took that role. Wow. So you in, in England, though, are are adaptive sports pretty well developed? I mean, are there collegiate uh, programs for adaptive sports? Not, not really collegiate. Um, uh, you, more and more universities are running programs and offering scholarships for students. There's not really an inter-university program yet, but it's developing. So what we call BUCS, which is the British University and Colleges Sports now, are increasingly doing it. They've just, in, well, prior to COVID had just introduced wheelchair basketball onto the competitive program. Mm. Uh, there are wheelchair tennis, which is mainly my background. They're exploring ways of having a competitive intercollegiate wheelchair tennis program in, in some way. But I think uh, adapted inclusive sports, whatever you know, the definition yeah. of interesting Paralympic sport over here has a very high profile as a result of London 2012. Um, that really helped. Uh, in tennis terms, it's played at Wimbledon, it's on the BBC. So 
there's quite a high level of exposure. I, I, I no longer have to explain what I do. Uh, <laughs> now, 30 years ago, I knew that as soon as I said I coach or work in wheelchair tennis, I'd have to have another paragraph ready. Uh, that's, not, that's not the case anymore. Um, it's very much within wind sport. There's still a lot to be done, but I think I will always say that. That's my reason for being really is that I will always be looking to, to push for more exposure, more awareness, more opportunity, but it's pretty good over here. Um, and, and, and especially in those sports that were represented at the Paralympics. Um, yeah, but it's not, it's not perfect by any means, but it is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, and there are other, uh, the, the way I tell that story now is wheelchair tennis is very high profile. That's where I've spent most of my career. But now, now I do a lot of work in uh, visually impaired and blind tennis. That's less well known. Uh, learning disability tennis has a lower, or that, and deaf tennis, although they've been around a long time, don't have the same level of exposure. And then uh, the work that I'm doing now with profound and multiple learning disability is not really on people's radar yet. So um, yeah, it is good. Um, but it's, as I say, I will always say it could be better. So I, I'm working with uh, one athlete with low vision. Um, he's incredible, you know, in archery. I mean, he gets consistently gets bullseyes, so I won't compete against him. No way. But how do you, I mean, how does uh, low vision kind of will or tennis work? I haven't heard of that before. Well, I've got the, I've actually got, here, this is the ball. So it's a foam ball, a um, little bit still homemade. Uh, we've got a table tennis ball in it with, with um, ball bearings in it. And the totally one, so the B1 category, play on a smaller court in the service boxes. They get up to three bounces. And then the partially sighted play on what we were calling an, an orange court in this country. Baseline, halfway between the baseline and the service line. Um, and they play with a ver varying number of bounces depending on the level of sight loss. Um, but it... it, it it works really well uh, and it's, I think it started in Japan. It came over here in 2007 and it's in the last two or three years, it's really starting to take off. Um, but again, long, long, long way to go. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, it's a really popular sport and um, it's growing some traction. And I firmly believe, and anybody can play any sport. Um, I'm preparing a presentation at the moment on possibility. And that's very much the theme that we can find a way to allow and enable anyone to play, in my opinion, whatever sport it is. Tennis is the sport I know most about um, by adapting whatever we need to adapt to make it possible. When, when you say, Mark, when you say a long way to go, um, you know, I think about just even in the US, I mean, how do we create, you know, more inclusion? And it is a question I've been asking people that I've been interviewing. So how, talk about a little bit more about long way to go. And then, you know, you've been all over the world. So how, how do we create more, a more inclusive it's a society? Really good question. Really, really good question. I think at, that, that there's so many facets to it and it does vary from country to country in terms of where, where inclusion sits within their society. In the work that I do, I refer to, if someone asks me what I do, I will say I work in sport, first and foremost. I won't put a preface to it. 
and then they'll usually I'll usually get a question but don't you work with disabled people or I say well yeah I do but no I work in sport and then we I try to frame it in inclusive sport rather than adapted or disability sport and the reason for that is it, it, I try to break down the silos so um we've just worked just before Christmas and there's a video just about to be released um, and we, we, we stage managed it a bit, but just before Christmas, um, we ran a session with uh, an ATP player in it, a former WTA Tour player, the world number one totally blind uh, female tennis player, our national deaf champion, Special Olympics gold medalist, uh, someone with complex mental health conditions and um, uh, someone who effectively almost a quadruple amputee. I think it's congenital, but quadruple amputee. And we just ran it one session inclusion and a wheelchair player one of the top player wheelchair, wheelchair players in the world Lucy Shuka so just saying it doesn't matter we're not impairment specific we're inclusion and I think lots of lots, lots of long ways to go and I think um I, you know the Paralympics has a great profile could be more but it, I, I'll be a little bit controversial here it it's not inclusive in the sense that they're two separate games and that sends a certain message out, which I'm not sure is right or wrong, particularly, but it sends out a message that um, disabled people don't compete with um, non-disabled people. Uh, which, and that's, and I often get pigeonholed as being someone who um, promotes inclusion at that end, disabled people competing with non-disabled people. When I say, no, that's not me. Uh, I talk about the inclusion spectrum and people engaging in sport and physical activity in the way that they choose. So at one end, that might be power chair users playing power chair football together as a group of players. At the other end, it might be myself and my wife playing doubles together, my wife's a wheelchair user, playing doubles together in a regular tennis competition. Um, and I try to get across the message that I promote across a whole spectrum. Um, of, of getting more and more people involved. And I think no, a long way to go, like the grand side, I, I, I'm heavily involved still uh, with Wimbledon, um, but the grand slams in tennis have done a great job, increased the exposure, but they could still evolve further. Uh, and the Australian Open is about to start, has got eight quads playing for the first time. So, so for players with an upper limb impairment as well, uh, have got a increased draw size. So it's all a push, and I think I said I don't think I'll ever be satisfied. Whenever we get the to where we want to be, we'll still be pushing a little bit further. Um, and I think it varies from country to country. And Australia has an opportunity because the top uh, quad wheelchair tennis player in the world is Australian. So they've played the last couple of quad finals on Rod Laver Arena live on TV with crowds. So there's an opportunity there to drive it. What I love, talking mainly about my own sport, but what I love about those Grand Slams is they have a global platform, which hopefully will then trickle out and, and, and raise awareness. But um, yeah, and I think if Tokyo happens, I hope it does, uh, that'll be another step change in the movement, I think. Yeah. Uh, each four years, there's an opportunity to take it to another level. Um, yeah, so long answer to that question, I think. 
No, no, that's, yeah, that's terrific. Um, so you're, you're very motivated. Um, I mean, I just, this is the first time I'm meeting you, but I, I just feel that. Um, is part of that, does part of that motivation come from your wife then? Uh, really good question. Uh, my wife uh, is very driven, very passionate, and she's now working heavily in inclusive fashion and trying to influence the fashion industry to be more inclusive. So we, we work together in that business. Um, but no, I, I met my wife after I'd sort of, I don't know quite how to develop this passion for inclusion. I think Tim Reddish is the guy that um, I mentioned earlier, who was, uh, when, when I shared an office with him, um, he was a Paralympic swimmer, vision impaired swimmer. Uh, and when I rocked up to work at nine o'clock, he'd already been in the pool since five o'clock. Um, and I just, without realizing it, I'd be running with him at lunchtime. I'd be doing everything with him um, and went on a very quick but very subtle awareness training without really realising it. And as a, we were a sports development team and if we ever got asked to enter any football competition or volley com, volleyball competition, Tim would always be in the team. And it just became a, a given that... Um, uh, and we played volleyball with him, we played football with him, um, he, he was involved in everything that we did and we just without realizing it that was just our normal yeah but he was having this incredible influence on us uh, in terms of my attitude to inclusion so um, I've still got the article we, we did we, we visited four schools in Nottingham um, one a school a, a, a deaf unit attached to a school uh, visually impaired unit attached to school, uh, school for children with learning disability, and then um, a special school m more focused on physical impairment. And Tim and I just wrote a little article on the on the four little projects that we did. And back then, we didn't know blind tennis existed. Uh, the Japanese were actually in parallel to us, or ahead of us, but we didn't know anything about it. Um, and we were just experimenting. And I learned so much off Tim. We we're in the office with plastic balls and bells and just trying to make things and throw them against the wall and see if they bounced and most of the time they didn't and we're like well okay let's so a lot of it was very skills based lots of bean bags balls with bells in that were audible a lot of floor tennis playing under the net rather than over it stuff that we still do now but that was all coming from Tim um, and then I'll never forget driving I was in my early 20s at the time and we were driving to a school in Nottingham which had two disabled children in, in the mainstream school. And the PE staff wanted a bit of guidance on how to include those two children in PE. This was back in the early 90s. And I remember driving Tim and he said to me, Mark, I'll do the warm up and you can do the tennis bit and I'll do the cool down. And back, I can remember thinking, I thought, okay, I've no, I just can't picture how this is going to work. But anyway, we do the session, Tim leads the warm up, And every now and then he would just say to me, Mark, are the children where they're supposed to be? And I'd say yes, and then off he'd go again. And I was just like, okay, I get this. And to come back to possibility, you know, there's a colleague here who can't see the kids that he's leading and coaching, but he's doing a pretty good job. <laughs> so that that is a summary of the of the way we work with Tim. And he he's I, I don't know sort of why I got passionate about it, but then through that started coaching a couple of wheelchair players, found it absolutely fascinating first player I coached had to sit down in, in the cafe at the Nottingham Tennis Centre so when I, I I've no idea what I'm doing here 
I've never coached wheelchair tennis before. I've watched about 20 minutes of a demo. Um, so we'll go on a, a collaborative journey. And that's really shaped my coaching philosophy throughout my career, whoever I work with. It's just like, you, you know more about your lived experience than I do. Let's just go together and work it out. Um, and that's certainly my experience coaching blind tennis now. I'm still learning day by day. Amazing. Can you talk more about uh, this business I, I, that you founded with your wife? I was on the internet looking at it. Really interesting. What What are you trying to do there? Yeah, well, we've got, um, in essence, I, I've, we've, two elements to what we do. Um, my, my personal business is all around what I call inclusive sports. And then my, my wife has an inclusive fashion uh, brand. Um, the message is the same. So we're both passionate about inclusion, um, but Sam's, uh, her simple story is when she got hurt at the age of 14 years old, she didn't see herself in any form of fashion communications. She was essentially, she's Brazilian. She was a model before her accident, played tennis before her accident, but both of those were essentially taken away. Um, she found tennis and then through tennis found some modeling again because she was modeling some tennis wheelchairs and rediscovered the fact that she could get back involved in, in fashion and she's uh, so driven around trying to influence the fashion industry to be more inclusive so it's not coming up with our own brand or our own design it's work the model is working very closely in collaboration with existing designers to them to design in an inclusive way and consider as many different um, uh, impairments as possible. And it's not just focused around wheelchair. Um, again, similar to the sports video that I just talked about over the summer, we did a very similar fashion video, uh, which I helped my wife produce. And we had models with a right range of different impairments, uh, several of them who happened to be uh, sports people as well. Um, but it's just the, 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 the pushing of the uh, of the same values. And I, I, I going back to your last question about how do we make sport more inclusive, that will only come if society becomes more inclusive. The, the two, we don't live in a silo. So we, we, we've got to influence all aspects of life. So if a young disabled person sees themselves in fashion communications, they're more likely to engage with sport. No. If transport's accessible, they're more likely to engage with sports. So we've got to be pushing on, on all fronts. And I think one of the challenges we face is that um, the sport itself can be inclusive and accessible, but if the bits around it are not, we, we're also we're struggling. We're, we're operating in a bit of a vacuum. Um, and I think that's true of some of the countries we were talking about earlier. The reason they're behind perhaps where we are at the moment is because within society, disabled people are not afforded the same opportunities generally. And that's where I think we use sport to nudge things along, but sometimes have to accept that we're operating within the constraints of, of wider society. What are, where are some of the, um, I mean, I know you've been to, I think like 80 countries or something. Yeah. <laughs> where have you found the most challenges uh, and what were those challenges? Yeah, well, I think we've touched on the, 
I think for me, attitude is the biggest challenge wherever we wherever we are, um, and just changing people's perceptions to what what people can achieve, what they can do, what the possibilities are, because um, then you can remove some of the barriers. And I think um, just yeah, just really interesting. I mean, I'll never forget. I was in Venezuela one time, and um, their tennis center was basically built on the side of a hill in Caracas, and um, I uh, they asked me they how they could improve the access a little bit so I said well there's this one court that's at car park level that you know if you put a ramp to that you can make that accessible you know relatively easily the others are a bit more challenging just for the sense that it's on the side of a mountain anyway I come back the next day they've built the ramp and I'm going wow that wouldn't happen in a developed country because of all the planning legislation and blah 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 that you have to go through they just and it was beautiful They'd got a carpenter out and there was a perfectly uh, a perfect ramp. Um, so I think if there's a, if there's a will, you can uh, make things happen. But I think at attitude is the, 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 the biggest thing. And uh, then you can find solutions around it. So we off my wife, we often say that if we're made to feel welcome, a few of the, in a wheelchair sense, if the physical barriers are still there, that's okay because um, equally we've been to places that are physically accessible but you're not feel you're not made to feel so welcome so I think attitude is key and and that's uh, and I think that's where the back to my wife's work the fashion communications are so important because if disabled people can see themselves in in communications they're more likely to engage with whatever we're doing and I think that's something I'm passionate about in sport that we need to Paralympics do a great job, but we need to really ensure that the communications are inclusive so people identify with, with what's uh, out there. And we, we have long debates. And, and should we call it, in my sport, should we advertise it as wheelchair tennis or is it uh, tennis, and this is not quite the right words, but that welcomes wheelchair users? So that, because the research in this country is that 64% uh, of disabled people want to do activity with non-disabled family and friends so therefore if you advertise wheelchair tennis they means they've got to come on their own so i think that there's some really I, I, I don't know the answer to how we get those messages across around inclusive activity because that's not always the case there will be wheelchair users out there who would prefer perhaps at their first ever camp to be around other wheelchair users so it's a providing that range of options, choice, as to how people engage. Um, but I think comms is really important. Well, I think, you know, as you said, the whole uh, inclusive nature uh, of sport makes sense. When I've coached wheelchair basketball, especially with youth, you know, we always encourage uh, siblings yep. to yep. participate. And it, it really, you know, if there is such a word as a thing as normalcy, I'm not really sure, but it does create a more kind of normal environment, you know, where everyone can participate yeah. together. And I think that's a, um, myself and some others around the local area are running inclusive sessions. There's a really good project um, not far from here where families come together and they go around a circuit of activities as a family. So they're not they're not being 
broken up, well, the, the disabled child has to go this way, the non-disabled child goes this way, and potentially even at different venues. It's just, no, here's an opportunity where you can just come and, and do stuff as a family. And uh, it's a choice, I think. Um, and I think that's a good example of people, and attitudes are changing, but I think you know, to people, non-disabled people playing wheelchair sports, um, that's becoming more, it happens in basketball, but I think it also needs to happen at the recreational level so that, as you say, siblings can do things together and it doesn't, and they choose how they do it. So the sibling may choose to get in a wheelchair, they may choose to not, but it's providing that in, environment. So I, I tell, you know, if I, if I play wheelchair tennis against my wife, I'll tend to, or tennis against my wife, I'll tend to play in a wheelchair. It's competitive, it's fun. If I play table tennis, I'll play on my feet because if I play in a chair, I'll, I'll get, I'll lose. Yeah, easily. If I play on my feet, it's a, it's a battle. So uh, it's, again, that choice of, of how we engage. And, and I think it's really, I mean, I, I know you use the term adapted sport. Uh, I think in some ways it's a very good term. In other ways, I, I, when I do presentations, I try to, we try and drop these, isn't, we're not adapting anything. We're making it inclusive. Does that make sense? But sometimes you, you have to say it's adapted to make people realize that it's in, it can be inclusive. So it's a really, the language is what I find fascinating because we're adapting sport all the time. There's a little net over my shoulder that could be for young children. It's only a meter wide, could be for older people, perhaps someone who's had a stroke, doesn't want to move but, so they can, they can play on a mini court. So we're adapting our activities all the time. At the moment, we assume adaptive sport tends to be associated with disability or Paralympic sport. And I said, well, it's, it's, a, it's a bit more, in my view, a bit more complex than that. But having said all of that, you've got to say what's on the tin sometimes. So we can be a bit more nuanced, I think, in the UK. But if you go to a, a low income country, you've probably got to say disability sport or Paralympic sport yeah. to, get the, to get the message across. Yeah. Um, and we had, I was involved when Blind Tennis was working out what to call itself. Um, and some people call it soundball tennis, which philosophically I love. In 30 years time, we call it soundball tennis and everyone understands that there's a version of the sport out there where you can play with an audible ball. Where we are at the moment is we need to tell the world that blind and partially sighted people can play tennis. If we call it soundball tennis, it, people won't realize that blind people can play particularly partially sighted people can get their heads around that a little bit but and again it depends where you are in the in the world um like like you said in the states blind tennis hasn't really taken off it's something that's not well known um and certainly as i said earlier that's when i talk about working in blind and visually impaired tennis then i still have to have a, a paragraph ready to explain it, which is fine, but it's not, you know, wheelchair tennis is embedded over here, other, other elements or not. So I think, the, yeah, it's complex. It is. I, I think the language is really important. I mean, I've been, so I'm working with people with what I'm saying now is a variety of abilities. Yep. But, you know, it's, it's, it is about inclusive sport though. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, but, but inclusive sport can, is also wider than disability as well. So then you start 
which I, well, you know, that's uh, my view is that everyone should be able to play. But again, inclusive sport means different things to different people, depending on on the audience. So I, I'm not sure there is a perfect term. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's interesting though, Mark, because I've been, so I've been uh, coaching some tennis too, and um, some able-bodied youth signed up. Um, and then I have people with a variety of uh, developmental disabilities. And it's really, it's really good because I think it creates more awareness, you know, especially for those able-bodied kids who at first they were kind of like, oh, wait, what is this? And now, you know, we're just all playing together. I mean, it's- Yeah, I have a COVID related story. Two weeks ago, we launched an online Saturday morning inclusive tennis club. Um, And across the two weeks, we've had deaf players, visually impaired players, players with learning disability, a wheelchair user, and non-disabled. And I was most excited on the first week when we had a non-disabled family join the session. They'd seen the promotion. I'd never met them before. And they came on. And then their children are joining in on a session and they've got world-ranked visually impaired players, nationally ranked deaf players, all in the same session. And then we had a a coach join uh, on the first week. And on the second week, he brought his two non-disabled kids along to join in. And that's my... We're getting there. That's my dream, is that... it. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's just a tennis session, and right. and we're we're not putting people into boxes. We we might be, and we've we we we've got we're ready to go into breakout rooms, based on we might do it on impairments. Uh, it's more likely we'll do it on tennis playing ability. Yeah, um, we 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 will just see. We'll ju- judge who we have on the Saturday morning club, and then people will be split up into potentially split up into little breakout rooms and go off and work with a coach in a breakout room. But it'll just depend on who's on the on the call. And it won't be we have a deaf group, a VI group, yeah. a wheelchair group. We might, but it's unlikely. It's much more likely to be done on children of a similar age or adults of a similar you know, it, it, It'll be a bit more nuanced in how we, we, we use it. And that's how I... Uh, you know, how, how we'd like to do it. So we're, COVID is giving us some opportunities as well because it's allowing us to, to do things differently um, and uh, sort of break down a few barriers. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Absolutely. What, Mark, what do you, um, I mean, you've worked with a lot of people with differing abilities, disability, whatever. Um, what do you say to someone um, who maybe has just had an injury or maybe hasn't participated, how do you motivate them to, you know, come out and at least try? Yeah, I think that's a really good, really, really good question. I think in this country now it's easier because there's an awareness. Um, but I think it, it's that sort of, and, and it's giving, having them information in the rehab centers, in the spinal units or wherever, just so they're perhaps getting some subtle awareness and then being, I think people will come at different times as to when 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 they're ready to, to play. Um, so we, we do try and do a lot of work. I, I have some interesting stories around, again, go back to my wife's fashion business, where I meet people through what we're doing in fashion and then they get to know you, you talk to them about sport and then they come on a journey. So I think it goes back to that. We're not operating in silos. It's it's really how do we communicate with the people, get to know them, 
Uh, I firmly believe we're in the people industry. So actually advertising the sport is not the right way to go. It's what, it's the why. The, the sport is the what. We should be offering the, the why. You know, that you can come and improve your mobility, your, your get your confidence back if, if someone's been injured. It's not come and play tennis. It's come and, come and meet some people. And I think, again, coming back to COVID, that's really helped us because we've been delivering wheelchair tennis almost a year now. We started in the first lockdown in the UK. Um, and by delivering into, literally into people's homes, they haven't needed any, they haven't even needed a day chair. They can sit on their sofa and, and join in. And then they get, they get to a few, they build up a, a bit of confidence in the skills. They also get to meet us as coaches so that when we run a camp, and we've got a bit of proof of this, when we ran a camp, when we were able to over the summer, a lot of the players we hadn't met, but we'd met them online and we broke a few barriers down. So I think, um, yeah, getting information out to people um, and then being ready, taking them on a sort of, or, or going on a journey with them so that when they're ready, they'll, they'll come. Yeah, not expecting them to necessarily, some will, but not necessarily expecting them to come straight out of rehab and do something. It's spending a little bit of time with them, um, inviting them to sessions and not, ex not expecting them to join in, uh, running your sessions in a way where they can drop in and out as they please. So take the, really take the pressure out. And that's what we've been able to do online without really, not that wasn't our initial objective, but people can watch, not take part, take, they can choose to do exactly what they want because um, they are at home. Um, so I think, yeah, it, lots, lots to, to do. And, and I think um, cer certainly from my sport, and this is not a, just uh, around encouraging disabled people to play it's encouraging anybody to play that people's perception of what the sport is full court yellow ball it's a difficult sport to play well it's actually not difficult if you play it on a small court with a soft ball for anybody yeah so i think some of the sports have got challenges anyway about encouraging people in um and but yeah again it comes back to the people just making people feel comfortable uh, and um, it's difficult because you've got to pro you've got to pay for the facility, pay for the coach potentially. But having this more drop in, certainly early doors, more this well, come and have a look, come and watch the first session, and and come and meet some of the people that are doing it. Talk to them. Don't take it from us. And I think that's something I've really learnt is peer, peer support is amazing. Um, I, I guess I'm quite because I'm married to a wheelchair user I've got sort of related lived experience but there's nothing better than hearing it from someone who's in a similar in a similar position or perceived to be in a similar position yeah so we're, we're getting towards the end of our our interview which has been a great interview um, what, what message would you like to uh, you know leave people with yeah, I think um, I think for any potential athletes that are listening or people are thinking of, is is encourage people to give it a go, um, a big or give anything a go. Find out what they like. Um, 
and then if there's any coaches listening or administrators is just really look at your practices and see if you're as inclusive as you should be or could be challenge your thinking um i still i'm what i love about this is i'm still on a journey challenging my perceptions all the time so i'm, I'm now say, doing work with people with profound and multiple learning disabilities and sort of reflecting to go well actually they weren't really on my radar as a community that I was trying to include before and just keep um, pushing your own boundaries as a provider to say can we do more to include more people um, from different backgrounds in our sport and physical activity um, and I think I've just thought I guess for me we should be emphasizing physical activity and sport as well because again it depends could be yoga could be dance they people might come in and start do, doing those activities and perhaps progress to other sports or they might just stay with doing yoga and dance that so doesn't um and i think that there's a lot of work to be done there and, and i think in terms of your last question about getting in, in recruiting people in certainly in this country and i think a lot of countries the sports are very siloed so they're promoting their own sport they're not necessarily looking at the person and saying what's best for this person and then providing a package and although tennis is my background what i like about being freelance is i'm not pushing just tennis and if someone says i hate tennis or i haven't got a tennis court close to me i i will still carry on the discussion or say um if they're interested in fashion say great come and come and be involved with what we're doing and then um that might open the door to to some physical activity and sport because we're we're connected with them um so yeah just encourage people to to do as much as they can and think differently and as i say everything is possible well mark just terrific i'm so happy that you agreed to do the interview and thank you so much no thank you very much really enjoyed it thank you